Hey everybody. Good morning. It's great to see you. Well, one of the things that I love um, most about why we gather here today and all the things that we get to be a part of is the reason behind it all. Um, I love the purpose. I love, I love the thing that calls us to come together in this place. And as John has so well explained this morning, even what we get to do beyond this place, I love that the, the reason why and the purpose behind it all is so incredibly clear. Um, let, me, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a job or maybe you were just a part of something that the purpose was so captivating to your heart that you didn't care even if you received a paycheck because you so believed in what you were doing? You know what I'm talking about? You ever had something like that that you just, your heart got compelled by the thing that you were a part of? And so it didn't really matter to you what you were paid because you got to be a part of it. You ever had something like that? Something that just had so much meaning and purpose and you believed in it. And so it just grabbed you to the core of who you are. It's hard to kind of explain how that feels, but, but sometimes you just go, man, I would do anything to be a part of that. Today we're beginning this new series and it's going to be in the book of Acts. We're going to look at the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. And, and we're going to see in the book of Acts that Jesus is going to call his disciples, these first disciples, he's going to call them to be a part of this mission that was so incredibly clear to them. It was a mission that they knew exactly what it was about and why they were doing it. And so as we go through this series, we're going to look at what were the key priorities, what were the, the, the key practices that were a part of the early church, what were the things that, that really catalyzed and, and really pushed them and propelled them to do the God-honoring things that they did then that allow us to be here right here today. And so we're going to talk about for these next several weeks, we're going to look at the birth of the church. And we're going to talk about, as we go through the book of Acts, this incredible thing that God began now thousands of years ago that is still alive and well. It's a movement that God is using in huge ways. And so we're going to look at this beautiful, this incredible thing that God calls the church. Now, um, maybe you would say this is true of your life, that there are seasons in your life that you look back on and you just say, wow, in that season, God grew me up in ways in which... I never would have imagined. That season alone was huge for me. Have you ever had one of those in your life? You just look back on a, a period of time and you go, ooh, that, that might have even been a little bit challenging. But man, I look back on that. That was a milestone time in my life. We're praying in this series. As we go through the book of Acts, we're asking God, God, would you make this the catalyst for us to be able to see and to continue to see you do things in our midst, God, that we would look back and we would say, only God could have done that. Only God could have done that. And so what I want to encourage you to do as we now journey through the book of Acts in the coming weeks, first, I want to encourage you, don't miss a Sunday of this series. Don't miss a Sunday. And then would you pray? And would you ask God, would you say, Lord, would you do something beautiful in your church as we look at the story, the compelling story of the early church. And so I'm actually going to pray um, for us right now. I came across this verse this week, and, and I thought it was just encouraging and, and also um, just inspiring, motivating to us this morning. It says that the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. I find that assuring. God, you're near to those who call on you but also motivating. Lord, this morning, we call on you in truth. We have confidence that you are near to those who call on you in truth. And so would you join me? Let's pray. Let's pray for this entire series. Let's say, God, as John said this morning, Lord, we are anticipating 
even more of what you're going to do in this place. So would you, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we, um, we cry out to you this morning. We passionately come before you. And Lord, we just say to you in this place, first of all, Lord, we thank you that you are near to those who call out to you in truth. Father, thank you for what you're doing here. And Father, as we look ahead and as we think about the story of the church, Lord, we're praying that you would do incredible things. Father, we thank you that you know us here by name today. You know where we've been. You know our stories. You know where you long even for us to be. Father, thank you for your presence. You love us. And Lord, you love your church. You love the church. You're at the center of the church. And so, Father, we pray this morning that you would just speak um, through me today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be heard, that my words wouldn't be necessarily heard, but Lord, that we would hear at the deepest level of our beings to the core of who we are, that we would hear from you. And that's our prayer this morning. Lord, we love you. We pray now that you bless and keep this series, Father. May you do amazing things through it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you, have you ever been sent out on a mission? Have you ever been sent out on a mission that had such a specific task that you really couldn't go astray? I mean, the mission was so incredibly clear. It was the kind of mission that it not only influenced your actions, the mission was so clear that it dictated your actions. It informed the things that you thought about and it informed the things that you did. Maybe you have a place where you work and that place has a mission statement or you own a company that has a a mission statement and maybe you even got to help craft that. And when you did that, you thought to yourself, okay, if we could have some words that define where we want to go, it will help us say yes to certain things and it will help us to say no to certain things. Sometimes individuals have their own mission statement. Sometimes a family will have a mission statement. Years ago, we came up with five words, and we said, you know, when our kids grow up, we hope that we look at their lives and we say, those five things are true of their lives. It's our, it's our mission. What I love about a good mission is this. If you stick to it, if, you, if, you, if it really acts as kind of the guardrails of where you go, it helps you say yes to that, but just as strongly. It says, hey, that's a distraction. It helps you say no. It keeps you incredibly focused. We're going to see that in the book of Acts this morning. We're going to see this laser-focused, crystal-clear vision. On November 9th of of this past year, the day after the election, what was undoubtedly one of the most publicized and followed presidential elections in our history, right? The day after that, Nick Saban, the head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide football team, he was in an interview. And in the context of that interview, this is the day after the election, He was asked this question, Coach Saban, what are your thoughts on the election's outcome? And without missing a beat, Coach Saban said, with kind of this, you know, southern swagger a little bit, he said, well, to be honest with you, I didn't even know that yesterday was election day. It was so important to me that I didn't even know that it was happening. And then he said, we're focused on other things around here. Now just look at his face. Isn't he like a ray of sunshine? I mean, yeah, I would have to have a cup of coffee with him, right? But here's the thing about him. Now, I don't know about you, but you kind of look at that and you you hear that story and you kind of go, man, you you got your head in the sand is what you call that. I mean, that's focus. But what I love about that, when I heard that, I thought, oh, there's, there's a gem of good in that as well. You could say this, and this is what is true of Nick Saban, people that kind of follow him. If you learn a little bit about his life and his coaching style, 
It's, people would say of him, he repeatedly shows his dislike for things that distract from his mission of raising up young men and winning football games. He is laser focused. A good mission, what does it do? It provides focus for you. It leads also to great outcomes. We're going to see in the book of Acts that Jesus laid out a mission that's so clear. He laid out this mission for the local church that is so incredibly compelling, and it produces the kind of outcomes that you and I, we don't just say, oh, that was good to be a part of that. When the church is really functioning, it produces these outcomes that you look at it and you say, I couldn't give my life to anything more, more better, better than the purposes of God that were expressed through the local church. That kind of clarity, that kind of the good. We look back on it and we go, oh, life impacting. You know, I'm so excited for this series because what we're going to do is we're going to unpack and we're going to discover as the weeks go on, looking ahead through this book, we're going to see what is the mission that God had for the local church? Well, what is the mission? Uh, This week I asked some different people, I said, what is the church meant to you? Um, I said, you know, as you think about your church experience over the course of your life, what has the church taught you? Maybe how even has the church shaped your life? And let me just say that there are no perfect churches, including this one. Maybe you're actually here today kind of for the first time, and, and you're actually you're in search for your first good church experience. This is what I heard some people say. Um, this is why I'm so excited to jump into this series, because again, we're talking about what is the church to be about. So these are some of the things that I heard. The church, some one person said, it taught me. To not hold on to resentment, but to be a forgiving person. To let things go. Isn't that true? I mean, you, you know how that is. If, if you don't forgive someone, it's like you pick up luggage, and that luggage is called resentment, and it's heavy, and you take it everywhere you go. But if you forgive someone, oh, you, re- you release them from that. The church the person said, they taught me that. Another person said, the church taught me to examine my heart, to see the error of my ways and my need for Christ, and I learned that Jesus Christ and life with him is so winsome. Another said this, the church helped me heal. Another said, the church provided a place for me to find lifelong friends and community. I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday, and I was reflecting on it later, and I thought to myself, that's true of me. I've found that in the church. Another said this, the church has poured truth into my kids and into their friends. Side note, did you know that there were 249 middle school students in this place on Friday night? And it doesn't even smell like must anymore. I mean, think about that. That's a modern day miracle. But here's what I love. So proud of our middle school team. So proud of them. Think about that. 249 middle school students in the period of their life where it's one of the hardest periods they'll ever go through. And what are they doing? Each and every one of those kids heard on Friday night the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love that. I love that you're a next generation church. Another person said this. They said, you know, I, the church has taught me not to get comfortable, but to share the hope that I have with other people that I love. Another person said, the church has rooted me so deeply that I won't wobble when I come up on hard times. Another said, the church has taught me, they said this is new to me, the joy of serving others. I used to think, oh, I have to, but now I see, oh, there's joy in that. Another said, the church has taught me that God can use my story. 
That God can use the things even in my story that I feel like are they're bad, but God can use that and he, can, he redeems that and then it helps somebody else. Another person said that the church has compelled me to see that there is a world beyond my own and to care for it. It's helped me see that just my little bubbles, that's not the whole thing. It's helped me to look beyond myself. I'm so thankful. You know, I was reading these emails and I was just like, oh, I love the church, this movement that God calls us to. It produces so many things that we look at and we don't just say, oh, that's good. We look at it and we say, that's life impacting this mission you gave us. And I don't miss this. In chapter one, we're going to see this mission that leads to a movement. And it's a movement that, that we would say, it's not just one that God says, hey, I hope you'll be a part of it. But it's this movement called the local church that God says, I call you to it. I call you to this movement. I, I, I invite you to it, but even more so, I call you into it if you're a follower of Christ. And so let's dive in. If you want to turn or click there now, you can. We're going to be in the New Testament book of, of Acts. You find Acts. It's right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And let me ask this question. Have you ever noticed this sometimes? That, 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 that certain things that start out as a mission, sometimes they're referred to later as a movement. And the reason they're referred to as a movement is because they inspire so many people. That's the story of the church. And if you're new to church this morning, I'm so glad you're here throughout this series because what you're going to see is this. You're going to be able to kind of walk behind the curtain a little bit and you're going to understand maybe for the very first time, oh, that's why they do what they do. That's why so-and-so talks to me like they do. That's why so-and-so, man, they stumbled through it, but they tried to pull me in. They invited me, whatever they did, right? Hopefully you'll be able to understand who the people of the church are and what they're trying to accomplish and who they're longing to be and who they're following. So we see this right away. So turn with me, Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 1. It says this, in my former book, this is Luke writing, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, when you think about the book of Acts, don't think about it just as even as a standalone book. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, also wrote the gospel book of Luke. And so really, it's kind of a two-part volume. You've got, you've got the book of Luke, and he begins to say, he says, hey, that's where we look at all that Jesus began, keyword, to do and to teach. When we get to the book of Acts, it's as though Luke just goes one step further and he says, okay, this is also then, this is what Jesus continued to do and what he continued to teach. And then how he brought the church right around that to rally together and to take this, again, this very clear message, the mission. Luke then in the following verses, if you read kind of past verse 1, what you'll see is this. It's that goes on to say that Jesus spent 40 days with this group of disciples. And he spent these 40 days with them. This is after he's gone to the cross, after he's gone to the grave, he's been resurrected. And so you can just imagine Jesus is now back with them. You can imagine how they would have clung to every single word that he spoke. I mean, this is the resurrected Jesus. They would have, they, there's no doubt, they would have hung on every word that he said because, wow, he's the one that went to the grave and he's not dead anymore. He proved that he's God. And now, oh, what joy I imagine they had when they were with him. He's with us. 
And so then it says this, we get to verse 6, and they ask Jesus a question. It says this in verse 6. It says, then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And they're wondering, Lord, are you going to bring restoration to the people of God? Are you going to restore Israel? They had heard about this for years and years and years, that one day God would bring restoration and healing to the people of God. So they're wondering. They're thinking to themselves, now we've got earthly kings, but he's different. He rose from the grave. And so they're asking him, Lord, is this the time? Is this the time when you're going to bring healing and restoration to the, to the people of God? Is that what's on the horizon? And Jesus replies this way in verse 7. He says to them, he says, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. It's as though Jesus was saying to them, in a sense, hey, guys, don't worry about predicting future events. Guys, you don't have to wrestle with that. I've got more important things for you to think about. And don't miss this. Jesus is about to call them to something so big, something that would have overwhelmed them. Something that if you could have gotten into their mind, you would have seen. It would have caused them such excitement. But it was also so huge, and it would have been so overwhelming that it would have caused them to rely on God like they never had before, to desperately need the presence and the Spirit of God. It caused me to ask this question today. Jeff, are you engaged in any God activity in your life? Do you have any relationships where uh, you're at that point where, God, if you don't come through, I might look a little bit foolish. Uh, God, if, if you don't come through, I, I might get a no on this. Um, do you have anything in your life? I just sense that question coming from that, from that, that, that verse in this text. Verse 8 then, it says this. Jesus says, again, the setup is this. He's saying, hey, guys, don't you worry. You don't need to worry about the future events because I have something for you that is so incredibly important. Now, if you highlight in your Bible or, or in your device, you mark stuff, highlight this verse because this is key. Verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When we get to verse 8, what we see is this. It sets the stage for the entire book of Acts. You could think of it this way. The chapter 1, verse 8, it's like the anchor that the rest of the book of Acts is tethered to. When we go through this book together, we'll always be able to look back to verse 8, and you'll be able to see the connections. And so what I want to do now is I want to look at three things that come out of verse 8. Three things that cause us to, they, they help us describe and to think about, okay, what's a part of this great mission that Jesus was calling these initial disciples to? The mission that here we are thousands of years later, and it is alive and well. What were three things that were key to it. So here they are. We see the power. We're going to see what, what was the horsepower behind this mission. We're going to see the purpose. Well, why? You got to ask that question. Why? Is it really worth it? And then here's the last one. What's the plan? How do you execute a mission that is so great? What's the plan? What's that going to look like? And so first, look with me at verse 8. We're just going just to pick this apart together. It says this, Jesus, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive power. What Jesus is saying in a nutshell is this. Hey, you are not going to be on your own. 
just before this in verse 5, he said to them, he says, guys, you're in Jerusalem, don't leave Jerusalem. But I want you to wait, wait for this gift that my father has promised, which you have heard him speak about. In Luke chapter 24, it puts it like this. Jesus says, stay in the city until you have received power from on high. In other words, guys, the task is so great, you cannot do it on your own, so you need to wait. Sometimes it's hard to wait, isn't it? But he knew, hey, if you go out and just try to do this mission in your own strength, you're going to fail miserably. But you need, he said, you need to wait. As a matter of fact, he said, I'm not just going to leave you hanging, though. I'm going to let you have power. The power is going to come from on high. The power will be my Holy Spirit prompting you along. Now we see this played out in Acts uh, chapter 1. Jesus ascends to heaven, but again, he doesn't just leave them hanging. Instead, he says, okay, I'm going to send you this, I love how it said, gift. I'm going to send you the gift of my spirit. Now the topic of the Holy Spirit, uh, maybe for you you'd say, wow, that is just completely foreign to me. Or maybe you'd say, I've got questions about that. We're going to talk more about the role of the, the Spirit of God in our lives. We're going to talk about it more next week as we look at Acts chapter 2. But let me try to help and just put this in a nutshell for us. The Spirit of God, this is why he said wait. You wait in Jerusalem until you've received this gift. Because the Spirit of God empowers the people of God to do the work of God. It empowers us to take the mission and go out and be a part of it. We see repeatedly then throughout the book of Acts that the gospel is proclaimed and then we see the spirit of God open up or illuminate the hearts of people and then we see those people respond. Again, left to themselves, fail miserably. But what Jesus was saying is that the mission is so great, I'm not going to leave you alone. Church, you are not left alone with this mission that the local church has. But God says, no, I'm going to send my spirit to you. Have you ever known this to be true? You're in a conversation, and if you're a Christian, and sometimes you just call out to God, and you just say, Lord, I don't know what to say right now. Would you give me a word to say? Happened to me just yesterday. It didn't lead to anything extravagant. But right away, I said, okay, I got something to say. I had a question for this person I hadn't met before, and we're in a conversation. But it got, the spirit of God will lead you all to say this. You are not on your own. Let's keep going. Point number two. Here it is. What's the purpose? What is our purpose in God's mission? Here it is. Verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's the power. And you will be my, what's the purpose? You will be my witnesses. Now the word witnesses, it means what you think it means. In the court of law, as you would know, a witness, what do they do? A witness attests to what is true. A witness gives a testimony, hey, this is what I've seen, hey, this is what I've heard. To the best of my knowledge, I stand behind this. This is what I saw, this is what I heard. Now, you and I know this. There were people in the scriptures, these early disciples, the majority of them, what did they do? They gave their lives for what they saw and for what they heard because they couldn't deny it. They saw Jesus, and they knew, Jesus, you are real. You did what you said. You changed my life. And since that time, right up, and I would say especially in our generation, there are thousands and thousands of people that are giving their lives. Why? Because their purpose. They're, they're a witness to the truth. They can't help but talk about. They can't help but defend what they've seen and what they've heard. Jesus says, hey, you are going to be my 
witnesses. Now think about where we are thousands and thousands of years later, and still to this day, people are bearing witness to the truth of Christ. Let me ask you a question. When you think of the word church, what's the first thing that comes to mind? When Jesus said the word church, he used this, he used this word, ekklesia. It's, the, it's, this, it's a Greek word, and it means a group that gathers or assembles around an idea or a cause. Say that with me, the word ekklesia. Ekklesia. Well, let's try again. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Ekklesia, right? You'd be at the Super Bowl party tonight. You can just say, hey, I learned some Greek today. You want to hear it? You know, and I'm sure people will be very interested in your Greek, but probably not. Anyway, here, here's the thing. So Jesus said when he translated the word church, he said it's an ecclesia. It's this gathering of people, and they're gathered around a cause. Now that, that word comes from two other words. The word ek means out, and the word kaleo, which means call. And so when you think about the church, you can think of it like this. It means that the church, you and I, we are called out, or how it also translates, we are the called out ones. It was this group of people that they were called out around this idea, around this cause. And so from the inception of the church, you've got this idea that, that, that we're not here to stay, but we're called out. We're a people that go. But something terrible happened over the years. From its inception, Jesus said, it's the group that's called out. But what happened is people began to think of the church as an institution, and they began to think of the church as a place that they go to sit and to watch a service instead of going and trying to join a mission or a movement. Our English word for the word church comes not from the word ecclesia, but from the German word kirka that translates as a sacred place. If you go to dictionary.com today and you look up the word church, and I would imagine if Jesus did that, I'm sure he's hanging out on dictionary.com a lot looking up words, but, but I would imagine if he did that and he saw the meaning of the word church because the first two words are these, a building. I think Jesus would cringe because the church was never meant to be an institution, a place that you go to just to sit, but it was meant to be uh, that you would join a movement, that you would be a part of that. Last little piece of history here. In the 16th century then, God raised up this guy named William Tyndale, and he was a reformer, and he translated the Bible into English, and he knew that the church was not meant to be an institution, but it was meant to be a movement. It was meant to be something that people joined, and so he translated the word church as the word congregation because he knew that the church wasn't just a place that you went, but he knew that it was a movement that you gladly joined. Know this, when God sees the church, he sees a people who are sent. He looks at you and he looks at me and he doesn't say, hey, stay put, but he's entrusted you and he's entrusted me with something that is so incredibly precious. This is the reason why for many of you, you got invited by somebody to come to a place like this and maybe it was a little awkward and, or maybe, you, you know, somebody sat down uh, across the table from you, and they said, hey, we've known each other for a while, but I just wanted to tell you, Jesus Christ has changed my life, and I was just wondering if I could tell you my story. And that might have felt like the most awkward conversation you could ever have had, and you wondered why did they enter into that water, but here's why. It's because they were captivated 
by the message, by the mission. And they didn't see the church as an institution, but as a movement that holds something that is so precious that it wasn't just for them. but They said, this is for everyone. God, you've entrusted it to me. Jesus said to his followers, I think this is so interesting. He said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Said another way, God, what God puts in you, he intends to reproduce. He intends for you and I to be sent. I love this. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, he didn't say, I love to go out and help people find Christ. He said this. He said, I am obligated. And I don't think he meant like, it's a duty and I don't really want to. No. But I think he meant this, God, you've given me something that is so incredibly precious. I will testify. I will be your witness. Why? Because it's so good. It's so life-changing. That's why somebody maybe stepped into your life. I always think of this guy in my own life. He was 20 years old. He did not have all the answers. But I tell you what, it moves me every time I think of it. He stepped into the water because he had experienced the grace of God. And he didn't know me, but he reached out to me as a 20-year-old guy. And he just began to tell me about Jesus Christ. And while I was raised in a good environment and I learned some truths from the scriptures, it didn't click for me. But for some reason, when he began to share the Spirit of God, it just it came together. Think of it this way. You are saved. You are redeemed by the grace of God so that you can be sent on the mission of God. And just think of it now. Here we are 2,000 years later. We are thousands of miles away from where it began. And we're seeing this movement still going alive and well and very healthy. And we're seeing, where did it start? On a hillside. It started with these incredibly unqualified people. They were carpenters and fishermen and tax collectors. Many of them had never traveled 50 miles away from their home. Yet, and they surely didn't understand, oh, I'm going to go and we're going to reach continents that they had never heard of. Yet here we are. And we're still going strong. And know this, those people, they didn't have all of the answers, but they said, okay, God, that's the mission. And they longed to be a part of it. Know this, I want us to hear this morning that God calls us to a movement, but movements, they move. Movements don't stay still. Movements look at for the city and they say, God, by your grace, would you use your church? Would you continue to do wonderful things? God, might you just blow our imaginations with the things that you would do? Let's just say this. Let's say that later today, instead of watching the Super Bowl, you said, hey, I got better things to do. And you got on your computer and, and you cracked the code for cancer, the cure. You've been busy, obviously, before that, right? But, but this afternoon was the breakthrough. And so you got it, and you knew you had it. Now let me ask you, I don't even need to ask you, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt there's not a person in this room that would just sit on that truth. There's not a person in this room that would just say, well, some people will misunderstand me if I tell them, da, 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 da. lawyers will have to get involved. Nobody, you wouldn't do that. You would share that beyond a shadow of a doubt with every single person that you possibly could because it would be the greatest news that you think that they could possibly hear. Let me just say, and we have to realize this, the implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ are even greater. Think of the person that reached into your life for all of eternity. 
The next thing that we see, not just the power, but not just the the purpose, but now we see the plan. Look back with me at verse 8. I love this. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's as though Jesus is saying this, okay, you're in Jerusalem now. That's your first circle. And I'm putting something that is so precious. and, and, And you need to not just protect it, but you need to express it and let other people be a part of it. So you start in Jerusalem. Your next circle, that's Judea and Samaria. And then, boom, it's going to go to the ends of the earth. Church, we get to be a part of that. We're seeing that in our midst. That's what God calls us to. Not an institution, but a movement. Not just a place where we come and where we gather, but a people who are called out. A people that God uses in incredible ways. Now, we covered a lot of ground this morning. uh, But I, I want us just to land and just give you two things to apply. So here's the first one. Here it is. Number one is this. Maybe for you this morning, this is how you apply this. This is how you say, you know what, I want to be a part of this movement. You take another step. Um, Maybe for you this morning, it's this. Maybe it's you, man, you've got somebody in your life that you just, you love and you know them. and, And you just say, I just need to make that invite. I need to step into the water. Why on earth wouldn't I? I've experienced the grace of God. I know that he died and that allowed me to have my sins forgiven. And I can live in right relationship with a holy God. And so maybe for you, you just say, you know what, I'm going I'm to step into that. Maybe you would say, my step is, God, I want to be a part of your movement that's well beyond my city. It's clear out into the ends of the earth. And maybe you sign up for a trip or you look into next year and you say, God, would you enlarge my view of people that you care for? The thing I love about that, that verse 8 is it's Jerusalem, Judea, and then it's to the ends of the earth, meaning this, there are no bounds that the gospel of Jesus Christ should not cross. No boundaries. There's no race. There is no ethnicity that does not get embraced by the love of God. Or maybe you just need to see yourself this week and just need to ask yourself this question, Lord, where could the church use my leadership? I've been a part of a group. Why don't I lead a group? I've been a part of a trip. Why don't I lead a trip? God, you've you've given me this gift mix. How can I use that? Next thing is this. Number two, this is it. Number two, remember the promise. Bring up, let's look at this Acts uh, 1.8. This is the promise that, that we're given. And here's what I want you to do. This promise is for you. This promise is for me. And so we're gonna read this together, and and I just want you to put your name in these three places where you see the word you, okay? So we're gonna read it together. And, and then you're going to put your name in those places. Let me just tell you, first service, they were horrible at this. So I'm expecting much better from you. Okay, you ready? So you're going to say your name. It's going to be messy, but it'll be okay. Because here's the thing. This is a promise. It's for you. It's for me. We're the church. Okay? So put your name in it. Here we go. But we'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on and will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Okay, that's a C. All right, let's try again. Here we go. Last time. Are you ready? We can do it. You're with me. Come on. It's 11.45. Come on. Here we go. Ready? But we'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on and will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let us remember, church. Let us pray to this end. God, we want to be a part of your movement. 
God, we want to get through this series in the book of Acts, and we want to say, God, we can't believe what you did in your midst. And it wasn't because of us, but it was because of your power. It was because of your clear purpose. And, Lord, now we know your plan. Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth, all of Omaha, and beyond and beyond and beyond. And, Lord, what a privilege. Because how boring it would be to be a part of an institution, but what a privilege it is, God, for us to be able to be a part of a movement. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, that you call us. God, it is no subtle thing. God, you call us to be a part of something great. Father, I pray for the person who's here today, and they would say, my life is crazy. My life is so busy. God, I pray that in the midst of that, you would pull them out, and you would help them to see with crystal clear vision this morning, but this is my purpose. This is what I'm to be about in the midst of it all whether it's at work, school, home. And then, Father, for the person that's here this morning and they don't know you, Father, I just pray that right now in this moment that they would say to you, and you can do this on your own right now, you can just say, Jesus, I believe this morning. I believe, I understand why thousands of people have given their lives to the cause of Jesus Christ because, Jesus, today I declare you are God. And you forgive me, and I can walk forgiven, and I can know you, and I can experience life with you. And when you do that, you are a child of the living God, and you are invited on the best and the greatest adventure you will possibly ever live. Lord, we love you, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we have the privilege this morning of ending our service by taking communion together, and um, and uh, so if our hosts want to come forward, that would be great. And, you know, what we love about communion is it is this tangible reminder for us this morning of who is at the center of it all, Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, go ahead and grab the elements, and then Rob will lead us uh, through taking them this morning, all right?